My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome to episode five? Five. Ah, a whole hand. I know. <laughs> um, if you don't, if this is your first episode that you've listened to, I am Shaylee Hugendorn. I am a mom, I'm a wife. I am a teacher, an event planner, a speaker, I do all the things. Wow. Uh, and I know it sounds more than it is. No, it's amazing. <laughs> and I um, have a vlog series on She Loves Magazine called Sisters of Mental Illness. And I'm doing the whole advocacy thing. I'm right in there and I am with another fierce advocate named Julie. Julie. And yes, my name is Julie Kraft and yes, I am explosively passionate about advocacy. Um, I'm also an artist, an author, a wife and a mom too, but at this point in my life, I'm just so excited to be pouring my time and energy into sharing my bipolar journey wherever and whenever I can. So we have both created this platform. We're so excited and, you know, just to give the world a glimpse into um, what it's like to live with bipolar. So that's me. I just need to just clarify really quick. Um, we are filming during the COVID-19 um, virus pandemic so we're both at home and I have a very cute but needy dog so if you see fluffy ears come in um that's him just wanted to put that out there just in case but yeah and if you're listening on the podcast I can tell you yeah very little and wee and cute <laughs> <laughs> um so where we left off in our last episode is we were talking kind of like the years leading up to um um, the diagnosis and we want to really break it down to about the weeks before and um, yeah I call mine the week of unraveling and so we don't know a lot of these stories about each other so uh, be prepared for our reactions as well yes. um, Julie the weeks of the unraveling the weeks of the unraveling I think I'll retitle mine the 14 years of the unraveling because okay. um, previous episodes we've gone into more detail so if you're curious to know exactly what happened in the decade and a bit before my diagnosis you can go back and listen but I'll give you the Coles notes version um, I basically um, was living a very frustrated overwhelmed anxious life wearing a mask hiding the real me from everyone except my family and so that just built up i did not reach out for help i did not open up to anyone 
um, I just held it all inside. And so the only people that did see that other side of me, um, my kids and my husband. And so I selfishly assumed that I could carry on for the rest. All right, here we go. Get it over with. <laughs> That's Oliver. Um, I just selfishly assumed that I could carry on for the rest of my days. I had a wedding ring on my finger, um, a very nice patient husband. And I didn't realize, I think in that moment, um, <laughs> we will call in back up in a minute. I didn't realize, um, how bad things had gotten. I didn't realize in those moments, in those years, the effects on my kids and my husband. And so, um, the unraveling right before I ended up going for help was basically, um, there was an incident where I lost control and every now and then my anger and frustration would build to the point where I could not put the brakes on and I would do something and I wasn't able to think rationally and stop myself. And so I wanted to scare my husband. I got up in the middle of the night, revved our car engine, screeched out of the driveway and I wanted to scare him. I wanted him to get up and be terrified, call the police, but not really call the police. I was so confused and frustrated and so that was definitely one specific incident that happened. Um, my husband actually slept through the whole thing, but upon learning about my dramatic behavior, I think that was really a huge red warning flag that things had gotten to a point of being so out of control that he needed to put a stop to it. He was also realizing um, the effect on the kids. And I think sometimes when you're the yeah. one with the undiagnosed mental health condition when you are so overwhelmed with life it's so hard we don't do it intentionally but we just can't see outside of ourselves and the overwhelm um, and the frustration that we are experiencing and so my husband of course could see the effect it was having on my children you know my emotional outbursts my anger um, them missing out on play dates and being involved in sports because i just couldn't handle that it was too much for me and so i will go into that final moment that led to a very heated sort of interaction but um mm. another thing i'll add in is that i had banned him forbidden him from reaching out for help from talking to anyone about what he was going through um i said do not talk to your father do not talk to your brother you're not allowed to go to a counselor. I just wanted to keep everything wrapped up in a bow. And I so thought I... I have a question about that. Yeah. Um, so clearly someone in the relationship, either you or your husband, um, was saying something was wrong. Because yeah. if you're asking for him to not do that, so would it be an outburst to be like, don't tell anyone? Or would it be like, don't tell anyone what our life is like? I, I'm curious about that. Pretty much don't out me. Don't tell anyone that when we go to a Christmas party and I am the life of the party and I smile until we say goodbye and we get in the car and I just crumble the bits or am so frustrated and angry from wearing a mask and pretending all night. I don't want you, you know, and sometimes he said, um, why don't we show everyone the real, you know, the real you and um, you wouldn't treat anyone else like this. And I just, oh my goodness, the thought of anyone in our friend group finding out just how ugly and mean I could be in my darkest moments. Yeah. Um, oh. and, sorry. No problem. No problem. 
And then when, um, when he brought it up, were you open to it or did that make you mad? Because I know how I feel about that. That made me so mad. So what happened, the last sort of straw was uh, after banning him from reaching out for help, which was very selfish of me now. And for anyone that's living alongside, if you are at a point where you don't know how much more you can take, um, my advice to you would be take care of yourself because you need to be able to support yourself yeah. and get the help you need to be able to, you know, be in the situation you're in. So I strolled into my husband's office. He had left a screen up, nothing inappropriate, but it was a bipolar spouse support group. I looked for a username, couldn't figure out what his was. But in that moment, I realized that he had betrayed me even though it was a group of strangers that probably didn't know me personally, just the thought that he would reach out for help. And, you know, it's really hard for me to even hear me say these words, but I need to share this part of it. Um, just the fact it was as if a wall went up between us and he finally, I confronted him and he just said, enough. He reached his limit. He basically said, I need to get help. And if you aren't willing to go and get help at this point, our marriage might not survive. I'm going to need to take the kids and get them into a safer, more stable environment. And I just never in a million years, and I don't know why I thought this, but I never in a million years thought that it would get to that point, that he would reach his limit, that I wouldn't be able to punch on him anymore. And so I think that was the moment that I thought, Ooh, ooh. For him just for our listeners when julie she does quotation marks she's not actually punching him no it's no i never i just wanted to clear that up because <laughs> thank you i'm uh i talk with my hands a lot i'm a very passionate and emotional person which a lot of folks with bipolar disorder are amazingly um and so yes i never punched my husband but um i think that was the moment where you know when when there's someone that's you know always okay and then you see them reach their limit and you see that other side and then you go uh oh or like when your parents used to use your full name middle name included then you knew you were in trouble this was the moment where i finally realized that it was serious that if i didn't go and get help if i didn't get over my pride i was maybe going to lose my husband and my kids and so that's what it took for me um i wish it didn't take that much to get me to that point yeah. but that's what it took for me to say okay and honestly i'm going to admit right now if my husband hadn't done that if i was single and didn't have kids i honestly don't know if i ever would have reached out for help i don't know if i ever would have been able to yeah. get out of my own way and reach out for help and you know i'm just being completely and totally honest so i you know I've said before, sometimes when you don't want to get help for yourself, yeah. you need to do it for the people um, that you love who are around you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. For so sure. that's I what know. my week, decade or so of unraveling, but um, I'm so curious to learn about your experience and I haven't heard any of it. So it's going to be new to me too, just so as the listeners hear it, I'm going to hear it too, but I'm just so fascinated always 
to hear your experiences because, you know, I just sort of assume that I know bipolar is different. The symptoms are different. It presents differently. Everyone's experiences are different. So it's just fascinating for me to be sitting almost beside, almost beside you um, to hear your experience because even though we have the same bipolar 2 diagnosis, our stories are, are still very different. So I would love to hear your unraveling. Yes. So before I start, I wanted to, um, I really related to what you said about the being angry when other people pointed it out, like your husband. And I want to explain what I've realized in, in learning about myself. And I'm wondering if it's the same for you. I tell myself and beat myself up in my head so much. And I know these things and I tell myself these things. So it's not that I don't believe my husband, if he would say something, even if it was carefully and beautifully and kindly done, yeah. it was almost as if all those like loud voices, not audible, but the voices um, that are mean, it was like confirming that everything that I thought about myself was true. So the anger wasn't uh, at him. It was like devastation that um, other people knew, right? So I don't know if it's the same for you, but that... That, that, that is what I said, because he's like, cause even now he's like, but you can say it and you tell everyone. I'm like, but when someone else says it, 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 uh, it hard, it's, it's so hard, hurts. but it's, it's, it's also healing, but it's so hard. So I completely understand, you know, I have those same feelings as well. Oh. And it's very different if it's someone that you don't trust with your story, right? You don't owe anything to to other people that don't you don't trust and feel safe with but the yeah. people that you feel safe with even though it's brutal sometimes we need to listen yeah there's a beautiful quote where it says your true friends you're able to just pour out your heart oh, and trust that they will you know take out the parts that they're not really supposed to hang on to and just shower you with love and acceptance and yes at the end of the day you know, some people are meant to stay and know our entire story and just wrap their arms around us. And for other people, everyone's at their own place in their own journey. And, and that's okay. Yeah. 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 And then I also want to say before I start is that yeah. we're in North America and we are in Canada. Yeah. So we're talking specifically to our medical system. Yeah. And we realize that it's different. We also realize that we're very privileged to have access to healthcare here. So um, if you don't relate to that, or if it seemed somewhat easy for us to get help, yeah. just know that's where we are. And that is uh, um, what we had access to. Yeah. So if you don't, I just hope and pray that people around you or that you can find um, access to medical help. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'm stalling. Okay. All right. Get so, into it, Shaley. We're ready. So, um, the, so like I said, starting, um, in the spring, things start to ramp up and the, so in the winter I had actually gone for help and my doctor had given me Zoloft. Okay. Works amazing for a lot of people. And it did for that winter. It was the first winter that I had energy that I was like, wow, people can see more than gray during this time. But then as I started getting anxious, um, we thought, well, we thought, my doctor thought, um, let's up the meds, okay? Yeah. 
not judging my doctor. Not everybody is expert in mental health, right. but upping it and upping it and upping it because I was on quite a low dose. And what we didn't realize is that that works for people like with just depression or just yes. anxiety, but not people with both. And so it put me into a tailspin of rapid cycling. Mm -hmm. And so every summer for a while there, um, I was doing VBS, which is called Vacation Bible School. And it's a really hyped up kids program. Um, and my job was the person on the stage. So you kind of are the, the one on the stage and then they go off into small groups. So, you know, spotlight, you're carrying everything. There's a lot to remember. Um, you need to be hyped up. You've got like, we had like something like 130 kids. Um, there are also the adults, which I would just prefer to have the 130 kids. I'm, adults are scarier. <laughs> um, the adult leaders and everything. And when I'm like this, I have a hard time memorizing things. So I just, I just go with it. And um, I just have a frame and a big idea and then I go with it. So I don't follow the book. So I was anxious about that, but I knew I could do a good job and I was so into it. And I was actually um, had someone else that was into it on the stage with me, which I don't normally have. I'm also self-conscious because you're leading the singing and actions, which I don't have a problem with, except for when you can hear my voice. So I'm like, <laughs> turn down the mic. I'll do the actions. So anyways, it takes a huge oh. amount of energy to do this. Also, I had a three and six, two and five, two and five year old, two and a half and five and a half year old. And so they were going into uh, childcare. The one, the five year old was in the kit, started with the kindergarten. So she was actually upstairs um, in it, but she couldn't handle me being on the stage. So I would see her losing it or crying or wanting to come on the stage. So by oh, day two, yeah. she had gone downstairs. So first of all, trying to manage that, this, that, 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 and I can do oh, a lot of things, but it was a lot and I'm ramping up and I'm taking these meds, right? Wow. And even the first day I'm kind of pacing, I'm getting all, like I do this thing where I just move around before events and usually I'm fixing things, but this one, the stage was made for me. First five minutes that I'm there, people are coming in they had made this beautiful stage but they had made a little vignette and put like this glass something that had to do with i don't know ships because it was like the shipwrecked or something was the yeah. thing knock it over break it <gasps> so this is my first so i'm like okay i can barely breathe i can't do this i don't have a choice so they cleaned it up and then one of them so lovely said we probably shouldn't have had this up here if you're put kids and I was like yeah ha, ha, I did it for the kids <laughs> anyways so there we go and I'm into it and I give it everything I do I give a hundred million percent yeah. and so I I do this and then you have a little tournament break in between then you go up again and I just started um it just started taking over and then I go home and my kids would sleep but I was still wired so I'd rearrange my kitchen like I just oh wow and then I couldn't come down from it whereas normally I can come down from it and do the relaxing things and then go back up but I couldn't do that and then um even a couple days before I wasn't sleeping I don't sleep very much when I'm like this so I was averaging for about two weeks about between two and five hours a night okay wow. with a two and a half and five hours and I'm doing this thing and I just I can't sit still I can't make dinner my husband knows so we bought frozen 
stuff. Like he knows when I can't do, yeah. I can do the big things, but when I'm doing the big things, I can't do the little things like the making dinner. I can't really keep too track of time. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's dinner time. What? Like I just get in different zones. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, this was just building and building and things I would kind of do to, um, you know, I would, when my husband would get home, I would go shopping. So it would distract me. Right. So then I was like really into it. So I'd buy like an entire sailor outfit, like as if I'm ever going to wear this striped <laughs> shirt and anyways, so into it. And, but I'm noticing some irritability. Like when the kids came to talk to me afterward, like I would give all my energy. Then I just wanted people to go home. Yeah. So I would be like near the end, I would be like, you know, I started saying weird, like stuff that you wouldn't think is totally weird, but I would be like, you know, uh, Shaylee has to go pick up her kids. So I can't hang out with you afterwards. Cause I was feeling like I, I was expected to, and they would kind of rush the stage. Yeah. But in hindsight, I don't think it was as big of a deal as I thought it was, but there was this huge expectation I felt. Yeah. So I was starting to say things like that and, and such, and I was starting to, and you you're know, not sleeping. You're not sleeping no. very well. Okay. No. Wow. No. So then I just think, you know what, get through it and then you'll sleep. And so fast forward the whole week, keep going, keep going, Sailor Shaley on the house. <laughs> and then like the Friday night comes, I'm like, okay, I should be able to sleep now. Nope, can't sleep. Oh, wow. And I would do, uh, uh, you don't think, you can't speak your thoughts out that late at night. Yeah. And so things that seemed to make total sense didn't. And everything seemed urgent like if i thought i have to message my mom it was like urgent like i'd talk to her right then i in previous episodes you've probably heard about my ex-fiance i never actually told him how i felt about something so i decided that that was the time so the middle of the night i wrote a facebook message luckily i reread it, it wasn't that bad okay um, but <laughs> random and one time i did a post but i spelled everything wrong and it was bizarre but i didn't notice i thought i was telling everyone something yeah. And I remember I would also watch, um, so I, the only show I could focus on was So You Think You Could Dance, because I would feel deeply about it. Like, I'd be crying, and I'd well, like, well, sometimes wake up, Rob, like, you have to watch this dance. About, right? And he's just like, wow. I need to work. Like, stop waking me up. I'm sorry you can't sleep. But he was used to it, because this has happened before, right? But not, not to this extent. Yeah. So then I thought, okay, Friday night, okay, I can't sleep. That's because I have to lead the kids during the actual church service through two songs. So maybe I'm just going to rest after that. Yeah. So then that Saturday night comes and it ends up being this, um, this kind of community. We lived in a townhouse, so it was like a complex party. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I helped put it together. I don't know. I think I wrote up and put it under people's doors. I'm pretty sure. Don't really remember. <laughs> So people are meeting and all my friends there or whatever. And I just can't sit still. And I think looking back, they say they noticed I can't sit still. So I'm going back and forth and fleeting. And then I was trying to set up my one friend and this other neighbor. And I was like saying weird stuff and telling oh, them, wow, just, yeah. And so then I go to bed, then I get up. And the next day, this is the day I get up and I am wired, but I'm also feel like this weird injustice that I was like, you know what? I was like upset that the, this is the only time the kids are on stage. And I had this thing that the church was putting the kids in the basement. And why aren't we listening to the children? The children can teach us. And I was like convinced that we weren't doing enough and that this was a beautiful opportunity. And then I had to get it, you know, we had to get it just right. And you don't know what kids 
kids are going to show up that day, right? Because yeah, some, yeah. some kids go to the church, some kids don't. So they're starting to show up and I'm feeling this huge pressure. Yeah. When I get like this, I can't really remember like sequential things. So I wasn't sure what when they were going to call us up. So I'm pacing, I'm getting the kids ready, but I'm also trying to contain them. And there was some super candles that had actual like lit candles up there. And I'm in my head, I am picturing myself, like the kids, somebody on fire. My hair, I was picturing like hair on fire, kids on fire, everything on fire. So before the kids come up, they called me to say how it went. Yeah. And so I walk up and I'm like, not walking up normal and kind of like freaking out in my head. And I walk up and I go and I blow out. Oh, all six. <laughs> whatever of the super spiritual candles oh so then i'm freaking out that i did it but i had to do it because my body was told me that people were going to be on fire so i do my thing everybody this is we learned so much at bbs blah blah blah, blah. call the kids up we do our song i'm like actions the kids did awesome i think i was right to do the candles but it was also kind of bizarre for people to watch um and People were close to it, so I'm still convinced that it was a good choice, but it looked bizarre. <laughs> and so then um, afterwards, I think I threw the pastor off a little bit because I came up and blew out his spiritual gift. Oh. I don't know. So whenever in between, they always talk about, in between services, kind of talk about what could go better. So he calls me and the other, another leader into, his, into an office and start just like, like, how can we do that better? I felt like that was discontroited and he's saying some things, which are all of my biggest fears. None of them were mean, but all of the biggest fears. And he's like, maybe next time you could tell me ahead about candles. And I'm like, I can't tell you ahead. Like it, we were going to catch on fire. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like so overwhelmed. So then I, I just start bawling and then I run out. And there's this stairwell that people don't really go in. And I find my, I barely remember myself and I'm sobbing uncontrollably. Luckily, I knew there was another leader there to lead the next thing. I didn't have to be there, even though I don't plan to. And I am like lying on the stairs and I am like, and I don't know how to get out. I don't know how to get my husband who's in the service. I don't know how to pick my kids up downstairs. I, no one can see me. I can't go out the back door. I don't have the keys to the car. And I'm just sobbing. And at some point, someone saw me and went and got my husband in Mustav. And, and somehow he got the kids. I don't really remember, but he got me out and home. Oh. And that afternoon, I just kind of was dazed or whatever. And I thought, but I couldn't, I felt like I needed a nap, but I couldn't go for a nap because then I wouldn't sleep that night. And I thought, okay, it's done. It's over. How, I just need to ask how many days at this point have you gone without a full good night's rest? So two weeks. And I also am just curious during this time, is your husband, does he know this? Is he seeing that this is sort of headed in the wrong direction or were you able to just sort of? Yes and no. Cause then when I would be the kids, I did the mom thing. It was distracting, whatever. Yeah. But yes, he had seen it before, but I don't think to this extent. Right. right. And then I can't remember if it was that day or the day before, but I went to the grocery store. Right. And 
I remember distinctly, and I know you said that you've had anxiety but not panic attacks, but I had a full-on panic attack in the grocery store. I was shopping and I couldn't make decisions and I didn't know what we needed. I didn't have a list, but I knew I had to and I felt like I was failing the whole week up to it because I hadn't made dinner, just lunches and snacks for the kids. And so I felt this huge pressure and I'm like, what should I buy? And I get into the state and I'm probably gonna walk you through it because I'm there right now in yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I get into the state where, what should I buy? Should I buy this? What's my budget? I don't even know. What, what's on the list? I don't even know what we ate for the whole week. You're such a failure. What are you doing? Also, how did you do VBS? I don't know if you should go tomorrow. I don't think you should go tomorrow. You're totally gonna ruin it for the kids because you're gonna act weird. You're such a weirdo. Oh, okay, back to this. I'm in the toothpaste aisle. What toothpaste should I buy? I don't know what toothpaste I should buy. Uh, should I buy no name? Should I buy this one? I should probably buy no name. I spend too much money. I bought a sailor outfit last week uh i uh, i don't know i think I, we're probably gonna go bankrupt we're gonna lose the house we're gonna lose it all because of me and i can barely breathe at this point and i call my husband and i'm telling him that we're gonna lose the house over toothpaste and he's like come home so i go home i don't even know if i bought the groceries i don't know if i got the toothpaste i don't know but i got home and then i don't even know what happened and then i try to go to sleep guess what i can't sleep oh two o'clock in the morning. I physically, I mean, so, like, you know, when you're that, I, I'm out of it. I just, I cannot believe that I can't sleep and I'm bawling and I'm like, why can't I sleep? And I'm pleading with God to put me to sleep and I just need to sleep. And I was just like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do another night of this. No. I, I'm stuck with my thoughts alone. And I'm going over and over about the crying thing and assuming that probably everybody saw me. And I like had leadership in the church and I'm going to get kicked out. The pastor thinks I'm crazy for doing the candles. I'm probably not going to ever be able to lead anything again in my whole entire life. We should just leave the church. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, you can imagine like my body's on fire. So well, I wake Rob up. I, I mean, even if I miss one night's full sleep, I know the extent, the chaos that ensues. I just, I, I'm a train wreck. So I yes. can't even imagine how you are still able to stand and speak a sentence at this point. Well, I don't know if those sentences were making sense. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. And when we talk about things later that have helped us, one of the biggest yeah. things with bipolar and other mental health disorders is sleep. It's one of the biggest ones. So yeah. it... it I was hooped, right? So I go and I wake up Rob and I say to him, I cannot sleep again. I cannot think another thought. I need to go to the hospital now because I actually think I might die if I don't go to sleep. Like, I, I, I don't even know anymore. I don't, I can't find myself, like, get up. And I tell him too, he said, okay, I'll get the neighbor to watch the kids, right? He's like, she wants to go to it. And the only thing I think of is emerge because they, then maybe they can give me a Valium because I know that knocks me out. Yeah, yeah. So um, he wants to call the neighbor. I want the neighbors to know, even though they're friends. I get him, I can't even believe he did it. I get him to call my new friend. He's never met my new friend. I knew her parent, her mom was there or something like that. And I knew she would probably come. I was convinced to this. So he has to call. He has to call her. Hi, this wow. is a you don't know. Yeah. My wife, she came. And, and we went to emerge. And it was terribly awful, awesome. <laughs> I and I am so glad that I that you are willing to share this right now because um, this is something that I was never brave enough 
I never had the strength to do this because of my fear of what that would look like. So thank you. I know you're about to share what that looks like. And I think a lot of people are stuck in that fear of what, what is going to happen? Uh, what does that look like? So yeah, I didn't even care anymore. I was just like, I cannot live another day like this. But I feel like I've been talking a lot. So let me ask you some questions before I get to the next part. I want oh, <laughs> So your husband says, Julie, this is not a choice anymore. Or it is a choice, but we're going to go. There are consequences, yeah. So was that like in the day, in the night? Uh, I can't remember if it was day or night, but it was definitely in the wake of me, you know, discovering that he had reached out and then realizing that that was it. That was the limit. And so we made an appointment with our family doctor. Okay. And um, very shortly after that, we went, he wanted to go with me. I did not want him to come with me. I kind of wanted this to be my own private little party. Um, I was mortified. I was embarrassed. I wondered how much should I share? What are they going to ask? Should I tell everything or just sort of sugarcoat it? And yes, all those fears that I just mentioned to you, am I going to be taken away? What would that look like? Yeah. Are they going to deem me um, a danger to my children? All of those fears. And will I be able to keep that under wraps if that happened? You know, I didn't have an understanding of what that would look like, which is why I'm so thankful that you're here to actually talk about what it did look like. And you had mentioned going to emergency and in hindsight, I could probably count about five times when I now clearly know that I should have gone wow. to emergency. I was in a state where I did need help and I wasn't able, you know, to control my thoughts, my anger, you know, my hypomania out of control. And so, yes, I, I should have gone to emergency and I didn't. And so I can't wait any longer. I would love for you to just explain what that looked like because my doctor's visit, you know, I'm sure was very different than your um, yeah. visit to emergency. But yes, that's sort of the steps that were taken um, for me to get help. It was just simply a call to my family doctor. There was no urgency, but I think my husband was just relieved that I finally had agreed to go and allow him to come along with me. And so, yeah, there wasn't that sense of urgency um, yeah. that you had. Yeah, and I wasn't gonna make another doctor's appointment because I, my doctor's like the baby doctor. Like he delivers all the baby, that is his expertise. Yeah. And I don't blame him and I don't blame other GPs because I'm also a substitute teacher. And so I don't know K to 12 curriculum. So mm -hmm. I don't blame that he didn't understand this. And we had actually gone before and be like, hey, we Googled this. I really fit into this bipolar. And he was like, absolutely not. You're too high functioning. You wouldn't have a degree. You wouldn't do so well with your children. Like, no. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. But, um, and I didn't want to go back because like, I didn't want him to just give me more Zoloft or I just didn't know. Right. And so um, arrive at the hospital. Um, disheveled but um i don't I, I, I yeah disheveled and awaiting and we had um a lot of waiting to do and my husband came with me and then we spoke i was just like why can't can you just give me a valium 
or clozapan or like I knew because I had taken one before and I knew that I react really strongly to it and I am out. No dreams, wow. nothing, out. And so that is what I wanted. But apparently you can't just go <laughs> to emergency asking for Valium and they trust that you're taking it for the right reason. Right, right. So I have to get interviewed and Robert's get interviewed, but then they also have to interview right. us apart because they don't know if there's something going on here right between us so it's a very very long night and um apparently we were pretty articulate because i went home with the value and an appointment for the next day and were you yeah. scared on the way to the hospital were you just in desperate need of sleep and relief and at that point there were no fears of what if what you know yeah i didn't care I didn't care. I was so, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this another year. I can't do this. I knew a cycle. I also recognized that like, I'm going to crash so hard that I might not get out of bed. Like I need to do this for my kids. Like I, I just can't, I cannot do it for another second. So I don't think I was thinking about that. And I also was thinking, I'm just going to ask for a sleeping pill. Right. 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 Like I wasn't going, you know, beyond that. I thought then I'd go to my doctor and we'd work it out. Yeah. But they wouldn't give it to me unless we promised we'd come to the, the next day, right? Right. So I get it, boom, sleep 16 hours. Right? Wow. Yeah. And then um, we get up, and I'm trying to figure out how far to go. Oh, I know. I know where I'll stop. And then because the reason we're saying this is because we want to go into the moment right. of diagnosis in another episode but um we go back and i kind of get it together and i look more together because i have a shower and such um and so it's an actual um you need to talk to a psych doctor right like not just a emerge doctor right. but in order to wait for that psych doctor you have to wait in emergency psych so we go upstairs and still just waking up still kind of out of it i don't know if i, I was still no like when i make a decision i'm like all in so i'm like no we're gonna do this i i'd have to ask rob i don't remember if i was scared but i know i was antsy and pacey and like couldn't sit still and so they're like wait they don't have a lot of waiting places so you wait in here so i legit was in i thought i'd just be in an office but to wait it had the door open but i was in like a padded room with a thing with Rob, like you would go to a doctor's office, like you're sitting up on that bed thing, whatever that thing is, you know, with the paper. Yeah. And um, just waiting. And I'm like having to sit there. And then I'm kind of getting conspiracy theories, like they're watching everything. So then I'm thinking, what should I be doing? How, and the more I thought what I should be doing, the more I couldn't do it. So I'm pacing around. And then I get sensory issues. So my hair was bugging me. And I was like getting itchy. And I was like, so then I walk out and Rob's like, no, they asked us to stay here. And I'm like, I'm just going to ask them for a hair elastic. Like who goes yeah. and bugs the psych nurses for hair? Like I'm so embarrassed now. And I'm like, I need an elastic. Like I can't, I can't, I need, I can't speak to the doctor till I have an elastic. And, and are you fully embracing that you're there? Or is there a part of you that's in denial? I don't, this is extreme. I don't need to be, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know because I only remember snippets. And in fact, like five minutes before we went up there, I, cause I have a bleeding heart and I just feel, I, I had saw um, a woman that was in trouble that um, was, uh, had her gown on and was clearly, 
getting made fun of in her gown and she was, you know, had taken substances and was acting. And I had went up to her and gave her my cardigan because I wanted her to feel covered. Like I was just doing, like it was a good thing, but it was just, Rob was just like, like it was just bizarre to do all these things in a weird way. So yeah, and then waiting up there and then um, there, uh, I was coherent enough and not a danger to myself or others because uh, he talked to Rob, he talked to me, talked to my doctor. And um, so they wouldn't admit me. And I actually remember thinking, you, like, you're crazy, but you're not even crazy enough for them to diagnose you. I thought, I'm, I'm thought, great. They're just going to send me home. A yeah. part of me, even though I was terrified, was hoping, right? I just thought they're just gonna send me home. Yeah. Nothing's gonna change. And part of me is hoping. And I actually remember for a minute feeling like a failure that they that <laughs> they wouldn't admit me. And then um, yeah, and then the next episode I will dun 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 tell you what happened. But right. I you would think I would be scared, but by then I was just so fidgety and so just couldn't focus my thoughts. The only thought I had is I like, I cannot live another day like this. Not that I wanted to, like, uh, I didn't have suicidal ideation. I just knew that I would, if I had to camp out at the psych ward, I was not leaving until yeah. someone helped me because I knew that, I knew that I didn't have to live that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Kind of dramatic. I, I, I'm so thankful that you're willing to share that because still, um, you know, I've never experienced that. I know what we see in movies. I've seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And I think it's just so sad that that's the only image that so many people have. And I need to remind myself, for the most part, 99.9% .9 of doctors are on our side. They want to help. They are the helpers. They are not the enemy. Um, you know, and that's the whole reason they've gone into that field of work. And so, you know, I had to shift my thinking too to realize that, you know, the doctors are actually on our side. And I know I, I need to acknowledge that, yes, um, there are some doctors, you know, that are not the greatest doctors and they're human and you know sometimes with the medication and the mistakes that are made you know i'm not a doctor either but i know that there are certain types of medication you know bipolar depression um cannot be treated the same as just you know general depression and so yeah sometimes there are oversights or mistakes made but generally I, you know, doctors are the helpers and a psychiatric hospital is there, uh, you know, to get you the help that you need or get you that diagnosis. And so, you know, my, I was completely influenced by all of the stigma and that really did hold me back. But to hear you sort of walk us through what that looks like, I think is so valuable for anyone out there to know that, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. However, those next steps look like the end goal is to get you to a place where, you know, you're sleeping or not struggling, or you have that official diagnosis. So then you can move on and get to a place where life isn't such a struggle. So just here and caring actually, oh, thank you, friend. Cause it, it sounds like I'm super confident in telling the story and it's because I've told it before and I almost have to remove myself that it's about me for a little yeah. bit but it's my story and yeah. 
it's powerful it's other people's story and i'm not embarrassed about it anymore no i just am not and that's the other thing i think you know people have this idea that if you reach out for help or you need to go for help or to emergency that it makes us weak but it's the opposite to take that next step to agree to go and get help. It's the strongest thing. It's the wisest thing you can do. And so, you know, I wish I didn't wait till it was that bad. And one thing is, honestly, don't be afraid in, especially in Canada, I don't know about other places, but to go to emerge. Cause right now we have a huge shortage of psychiatrists and it's still, there's so much unknown. So basically like they're honest with you. It's like, a guinea pig trial you have to try different medications to, yeah. to see if it would work however yeah we know a huge amount of medications like zoloft for me set me off and right. they told me if if i would have kept going how i was going i was like a couple days away from full psychosis yeah wow and i know too um the other important thing is and i'll get into that a little bit more when i speak about my experience at the doctor you need to share everything. Yes. Do not hide anything out of embarrassment or shame. And even something that you think is insignificant could be the one clue that will give you that proper diagnosis. And so, you know, the one defining feature of bipolar is the mania or hypomania, but that looks different for every single person. So, my hypomania or me being in that state might look like you know me going into a coffee shop and striking up a conversation with everyone in the lineup and then buying them all a coffee that might be the extent of hypomania but i need to tell that to the doctor and i need to say i would normally you know never do something like that whereas for you an extrovert high energy that might be completely normal behavior for you if you always remember the end goal is a proper diagnosis. And I think for a lot of people, they get a misdiagnosis or four. I'm not sure on that statistic, but I've read it. I, I think it's oh. accurate. And it's because, you know, maybe the doctors are only picking up on the anxiety or the depression. If I was followed year round, I only yeah. went to the doctor when I was depressed. I was so grateful to be out of the depression. I didn't see the anxiety because it didn't come out in big fears and it came out in anger and indecisiveness. And I, yeah, sorry, sorry, cutting you off. No, so no, excited. We're and I think because this is, this is, and I, th I think for bipolar two, the hypomania isn't as extreme as with bipolar one, where you yeah. have full blown mania, which is where, you know, there are sometimes, you know, psychosis or delusions, the reckless, reckless behavior. So hypomania for me, often just look like explosive creativity, you know, um, fast paced thinking, increased speech. But if you're not really aware of hypomania or what that looks like, that to someone else or even to yourself could just look like a really great week and a really great mood and the sun is shining. So, you know, yes, there are so many different factors. So, yeah. you know, I think actually, even if I had sort of tracked or kept a journal, anything, any tool, any extra information we can give to the doctors to help them piece it together, because it is, there's no blood test to take. There's no bipolar gene. 
at this point to test for. And so we need to do everything we can to help the doctors, you know, look at family history and symptoms. And oh, before I forget, I'll just mention that too. Hmm. Um, you know, there you can be genetically predisposed. So even I'm so thankful now that I have a diagnosis because down the line, if anyone in my family experiences mental health issues, there's another clue, another piece of the puzzle. Right away, you've given the doctor, you know, a little bit of extra information to help them zero in. So I think to realize that we have to, you know, sort of yeah. be a huge part of helping the doctors, you know, get to a And if you have someone that you live with, bring them because you don't yeah. have you don't have the same perspective right uh, i know people that have gone in and uh, your truth isn't everybody else's truth we see things our own way right. um, and so bringing in someone else is really helpful and i'm really glad that they um interviewed rob separately because at that point i don't know if i would have been able to been able to uh, uh, handle anything that that he that he would say at that point, but it is important yeah. because, like you said, the clues and then making it a rounder picture. The end goal is to get help and to live a life that is not so difficult and overwhelming. And so, however that road to getting to that place looks like, it's almost like you know what you just need to do it. There are some things in life, they're not pleasant, they're not fun. We would never want, you know, want to have to do them, but they're just, they're just part of getting to a place of being well. Yeah. And, and we're on the other side of that. And honestly, my only thought is I wish I had taken those steps sooner. It's the best thing I ever did. There's no way that I would be where I am. And I know, you know, I, I might not still be married. I don't know if my children would... I don't know if my relationship would be the same and I most definitely would never have met you, oh. you, and I, I wouldn't be at a place right now where I was willing to put, you know, put myself out to the entire world and speak about it. So, but I understand that fear and, you know, everybody's at their own place in their journey. But if I can, um, if both of us can just share and let you know from the other side of the process, it is so, so so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're uh, looking forward to telling you even how the exact moment and how it went after in the, yeah. the next episode. So thank you for listening to our hard things yeah. because we just want to show you that this is bipolar. <laughs>